Cool. Good morning. Thanks for your patience. Uh, my name is Apindile, as Temba has introduced me. Um, very kind introduction, by the way. I've never heard, I've never heard an introduction like that before. Um, but yeah, good to see you all. Uh, I'm mainly based in the PM congregation, which is in the evening, uh, but still based in, in this church as well. Uh, good to see you all, as I've said. Um, today we're going to be in Matthew 5. If you could please turn to your Bibles, or it's going to come up on the screen. I will read... I will pray for us, then we will kick off. Matthew 5, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evils against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For, they so, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That is the scripture of the day. We are going to be looking at four of the Beatitudes uh, this morning, and uh, Kurt will pick up the rest next week. But just to kind of set the scene, we kind of heard from last week with Greg that uh, Jesus had began his ministry. He had um, started preaching he had called his disciples, uh, and he started preaching, like healing and, and performing miracles as well, which, which is amazing. And his fame was actually on the rise. There were crowds that were following him from town to town, uh, region to region, uh, from Galilee, Jerusalem, uh, Judea, and across the Jordan. They had people. He had people that were following him. Um, so word was actually spreading like wildfire that there is this Jewish carpenter who was proclaiming the kingdom of heaven. Could he be the Messiah that they had been awaiting? Let's see. We, we then get to a point of this popular sermon that we are in today, which is called the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and and we, it starts from chapter 5 to chapter 7, just a block of three Kind of chapters where Jesus is actually teaching a variety of, of topics uh, about kingdom living, about how we actually live in the kingdom. We, we get to this part which is called the Beatitudes, which is a series of blessings. Uh, these are, I mean, Matthew's Greek word actually translates to blessed. Um, so the Beatitudes are 
announcements of people who are very fortunate. They are announcements or con congratulations of people who are blessed, people who are truly happy, people who are prosperous and satisfied and content. It's an announcement of that. Now, this is a great topic because this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. If you are beginning or you are starting a new movement or a new um, uh, ministry, you want to make sure that you've got a good topic to kick off with. Um, think about this as his manifesto of this new ministry, of manifesto or the vision of this new movement. What a great topic to start with. Blessings and happiness. We all want to be happy, right? All the people who were, looking, or who were, following, uh, and who were following Jesus and coming to see him wanted happiness. That's all we want as well. So kudos to Jesus, great topic, high five. And if this was, if this was modern day South Africa, we would be expecting Jesus' manifesto to actually speak about the issues of the day as well. We would be expecting Jesus to talk about expropriation of land. We would be expecting him to talk about corruption must fall, Zuma must fall, lockdown must fall, everything must fall. That's what I see in my newsfeed. We would be expecting him to do that. And now Jesus has this crowd that has been following him, is launching his ministry, and is about to lay his manifesto. Great topic, blessings and happiness. He starts his talk. Amandla. I wait. Crowds are going crazy. Amandla. Blessed are you. Yay! Crowds are going crazy. Blessed are you. We all want blessings. Who are poor in spirit. It's like, oh. <laughs> Jesus, poor is not a great word. Find something else, please. Try again. Blessed are you, yay, <laughs> who are meek. It's like, oh, come on, dude. Blessed are you who mourn. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst. Blessed are you who are persecuted. At that point, if I'm Jesus' campaign manager, I'd be literally shouting to the sound desk to cut off his mic. He's gone rogue. Something is wrong. Something is wrong. He's gone rogue. Give the people what they want to hear. Speak about the issues of the day, Jesus. You're going to lose these followers. You're going to lose the people who are following you now. Your polls are going to take a dive in the, the next day. Jesus, you need to speak to what the people want to hear. It is safe to say that the crowds were disappointed. They were not expecting what Jesus was going to say. And there's something, there's something surprising and contrarian about, uh, about the Beatitudes, and it relates to this upside-down kingdom of God. Everything about Jesus, his life, well, his birth, his life, the people he hangs around with, he chooses unimportant and uneducated disciples to follow him. 
He sometimes has no money, no place to sleep at, and he dies like a criminal on the cross for our sins. And yet all of this is actually to reveal him as king, the Messiah, the Christ who is here to actually save the world. This is the complete opposite of the Messiah that these guys were looking at, what we're looking for. It's complete opposite of the king that they were expecting, not a king who ascribes to values like meekness and poverty of spirit and persecution. We have that already. We've got the Roman Empire oppressing us. We need a king who's going to lead a revolution. The manifesto has to be speaking to the revolution that is coming. Surely you are that king. Surely if you are the Messiah, you are going to do that. Speak to the issues of the day, Jesus. But Jesus sees a kingdom and blessings and happiness that are beyond what we see here and now. A kingdom that has a value system that is completely different to what we have. We're going to draw into the Beatitudes shortly, but what I want to pick up first is just general lessons that have helped me understand these bless, this series of blessings better, and just to put it into a bit, a bit of context. Number one, the Beatitudes are ultimately a depiction or a picture of Jesus. They, they're not a list of instructions to you and I on how we should actually live, but they rather paint a picture of one who is truly blessed and one who is truly happy. So you think of each sort of beatitude as a piece of stained glass, but once you kind of step away from it, you kind of have this portrait, and that portrait has the person of Christ. Example, Jesus is the one who actually knows poverty of spirit. He is the one who was separated and abandoned on the cross by his Father for our sins. He's the one who's truly meek. Philippians 2 says that he did not consider equality with God, although he was in the very nature of God. He's the one who is truly a peacemaker, making atonement for our sins, reconciling us with the Father, reconciling one another as well, reconciling the Zulus and the Crosses, reconciling the Afrikaners and the Crosses, making us one human in Christ. He is the peacemaker. And, and the Beatitudes are a depiction of Christ. He is the one without sin, truly pure in heart, truly righteous, the one who seeks righteousness. They are a depiction or a picture of Jesus. And how we respond to them, we respond with passion and zeal to say, Jesus we want to be like you. Because we want to be like you, we want the same traits that you have as well. We want the same meekness in spirit and the same hunger and thirst for righteousness because these are the qualities that you have. Secondly, none of these actually refer to what I would call natural tendencies. No person naturally conforms to these, no matter how nice you are. 
And we must be careful to actually build a distinction between spiritual qualities that we find in the Beatitudes and natural ones that we might have, that, that we are born with, just natural traits that we're born with. So no one actually has the Beatitudes naturally without the work of the Spirit. Thirdly, each Beatitude actually demands the other. For instance, you, you cannot mourn without being poor in spirit. You, you cannot be a peacemaker without knowing mercy or without knowing or hungering for righteousness. Each one of these beatitudes kind of builds to the other. Each one demands the other. And so it's not like we can actually pick and choose to say, oh, I love this one that says, be merciful, but I do not like the one that says being persecuted for righteousness. Cool. We'll look at the first one. As I said, today we're looking at four, which is from verse three to verse six. First one says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Poor in spirit, what does it actually mean? Being poor in spirit, in my understanding, or how I would summarize it, is an attitude of the heart, of the mind, and of the spirit, knowing and admitting how spiritually bankrupt we actually are. It's realizing how inadequate and how impoverished we are. It's looking at the, the liability side of the balance sheet and seeing many zeros and knowing that our assets do not even begin to match up. It's realizing that we cannot pay our debt and that we need help from God. And the realization of how spiritually bankrupt we are or how poor we are in spirit is actually a gift from God. Hence, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. It's a gift. This realization is a gift because without knowing how spiritually bankrupt you are, there is no repentance. Without knowing and having that need for your sins to be actually taken by someone else, to be forgiven, there's no repentance. Without repentance, there is no salvation. Now, contrary to the, to the crowds who were disappointed, the everything must fall crowds earlier, if you know that you are spiritually poor, if you know that you are a sinner in need of forgiveness, and Jesus says to you, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, that is the best news ever. The condition for the kingdom of God is that you bring nothing but your poverty of spirit. You bring your brokenness. You bring your debt that you cannot pay. That's the condition of you coming to God. You essentially become spiritually rich for realizing how bankrupt you are. Show me a deal that is like that on this earth. By admitting and repenting, we gain the best treasure of all. Yours is the kingdom of God. We get God as king. Jesus is announcing this 
as a blessing. He is saying, congratulations to those who know their poverty of spirit, for you will know my mercy, for you will know my salvation. Yours is the kingdom of God. Second bless, the second beatitude says, blessed are those who mourn. Now, this is a bit of a paradox for me because in simple English for me, it, it means happy are those who are sad. But it's not sorrow of bereavement that Jesus is actually referring to here, but sorrow of repentance over our sin. It is one thing to know that you are spiritually poor and admit it, but it is something else to actually mourn over it, to actually have sorrow and grieve over your sin. We, we must be sorrowful over our sin. That's what we call to. We must know that sin is an act of hostility and an act of rebellion against God. But we, we naturally, I mean, me first, like I naturally, my, my tendency is not to mourn over my sin. The first thing I want to do is actually to justify it. The first thing I want to do is to say, actually I did this because of that. And some of these sins are sins of omission, not doing what God says, and some are sins of commission, which is doing what God hates. And mourning our sin and seeing how ugly our sin is actually helps us obey God more. Because what we do is we reflect on it. We, we put measures in place. We, we jump into accountability groups. We confess it because we know how ugly our sin is. We do not want to be found in repetitive sins again. So you mourn over your sin. You don't just realize it, you justify it, and you move on. You actually see how much God does not like. And this spiritual sadness and mourning of sin leads to one destination, Jesus says. It leads to comfort from God. It's not condemnation. Mourning our sin does not lead to condemnation. If it's in God, it leads to comfort. He's the one who can take it away. Third one is blessed are the meek. This is a trait that Jesus describes his own, his very heart. He says his heart is actually uh, a meek. This is in Matthew eleven twenty nine. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Our king, Jesus is describing himself as meek, as gentle. In, in contrast to what our society would say, meekness or gentleness is actually not a good quality. Gentleness is misunderstood for weakness, for being soft, for having low self-esteem. Good leadership that is determined and decisive is not gentle. That's not what we've been taught. And you cannot be meek without the work of the Holy Spirit. 
the Holy Spirit is the one that helps us as this is a gift of, sorry, this is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. At the center of being meek is a confidence and a strength that is founded in trusting God. That's what at the center of being meek is. Jesus fully had this, a confidence and a trust of, 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 of God as our defender, as our righteous judge, as our avenger, as our Father who is for us, and one that will exalt you for being humble because he opposes the, proud, the prideful and exalts the humble. So you don't get to 10, which is the teachings that are coming further on. You don't get to turn the other cheek without being meek. You don't get to love your enemies without being meek. You don't get to submit to God's will without meekness. It's not a natural tendency or natural uh, uh, trait. We need the Holy Spirit for it. Number four, hunger and thirst for righteousness. When I've looked at my own life, at times what hinders my hunger and thirst for righteousness is mostly, it has mostly been two things. One is pursuit of my own self-righteousness or pursuit of religion. Number two is pursuit of of self-sufficiency. Let me start with the first one, pursuit of religion or the distraction that we get from pursuing religion. Uh, in just a few verses down from the Beatitudes, in verse 20, Jesus says, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He's saying this to the same crowds he was speaking to. Except if it exceeds the ones of the Pharisees and the scribes. Now, this would have been shocking to the listeners of the time because if the standard is actually higher than the spiritual leaders of the day, the ones who, who followed every law, the ones who led the rituals, of, 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 for, for the people of God. The ones who kept every rule of the law. But Jesus is saying, your righteousness, no more people, has to exceed that of your spiritual leaders. The, the issue here is that these guys actually found or, or hungered for religion. They had self-made righteousness. And if you hunger for religion or for your self-made righteousness, which is found in working really hard, being determined, doing A, B, C, and D, tick box exercise, point system, met my points for the day, I'm good. You will never hunger and thirst for righteousness. If you are satisfied by religion, I've done this, I'm a, come to church every Sunday. I know the gospel. I've got a beautiful wife and a kid who's sometimes good. <laughs> I go to growth group, tick, 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 and I'm fine. 
if we are satisfied by a point system, which is religion, we will never hunger and thirst for righteousness. The righteousness that Jesus is talking about is a righteousness that is found in him. Not self-made righteousness that the Pharisees had. We, you and I, find our righteousness in the person of Christ. He imputes his righteousness unto us. He's the one who is without sin. He's the one who is perfect. And he imputes that righteousness, that right standing with God unto us. So what we do in our pursuit of righteousness is actually love Jesus more. It's us pursuing a relationship with Jesus and not ticking boxes and thinking we are fine. We need to continually love Jesus and abiding in him in order to pursue righteousness. The second one is this pursuit of self-sufficiency. And a good example actually comes from uh, Revelation, uh, Revelation 3.17. Uh, Jesus is speaking to this church in Laodicea. And, um, I mean, this was a fairly wealthy church, um, and they took pride in the fact that they were actually wealthy. And in response to their attitude, Jesus says in verse 17, You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Now, I don't think I personally have an overt or fleshy pridefulness that, like these Christians that we're seeing here. But I will admit that deep down that I also have a hunger and thirst for wealth and self-sufficiency. Because I'm a Christian at God first, you know, I won't say it as prideful. I won't say it as boastful. There's a dash of modesty and humility. But my heart is still saying the same thing. I've acquired wealth and do not need anything. The pursuit of self-sufficiency will actually distract us from pursuing righteousness. It takes away from hungering and thirsting for righteousness. That is the spirit of the day. That is the mode of the day. We pursue self-sufficiency. We pursue a, 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 a state or a being where we can say we do not need a thing. Later on, still in the same Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about seek first the kingdom of God and wealth. Sorry. <laughs> seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And Jesus says this, says, says that those who, lo those who long for righteousness will be satisfied. Because we know, friends, religion does not satisfy. We know that wealth does not satisfy. Righteousness in God is what will satisfy us. And to conclude, and the band will start coming up, the way we maintain 
this hunger and thirst for righteousness is by remaining poor in spirit. A poverty of spirit is not for the day that we got saved. It's not that for the day that we found that, oh, we, we're actually sinful and we are repenting now. It is a lifetime trait. Christians are marked by a deep dependence and reliance on God. For, 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 our, for our lifetime, we should be marked by a deep dependence on God. And one of the things that you can actually pick up when you do not depend on God is a life without relying on God, without prayer, without spending time with Him. How we maintain our righteousness is by mourning over our sin. Jesus doesn't bless those who mourned. He blesses those who mourn. It's a continuous experience of sorrow over our sin. The closer we walk with God, the more we mourn over our sin. And lastly, to be meek. I mean that the Beatitudes are not just like a random, um, a random order. Those who realize that they are poor in spirit and then they mourn, they also have the state of being meek, this humbleness, this humility that is produced by knowing that you are poor in spirit and that the only person who has the power to save you is God. So friends, these are announcements of blessings in, in Jesus' kingdom. These are announcements, and he invites us, Christians and those who do not know him as of yet, to actually look into this, to actually, he invites us to this blessing, he invites us to his kingdom. And if you're not a Christian specifically, all that Jesus is asking is that you actually realize how spiritually poor you are. And the condition to actually come to him is that I've got nothing but my spiritual poverty. I've got nothing but my sin. And hence, I'm coming to you, Lord. Let me pray for us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for showing us a picture of who you are. A person who is uh, meek, who is poor in spirit, person who mourns over sin, person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Lord, we, we want to say we want to be like you. We want to be like you, Jesus. Thank you for inviting us to the kingdom of God. Thank you for giving us the kingdom of God so that we, we, we found in you, we found in, in who you are. We, we want to be like you. We want to be found as, as, as having the same qualities and traits as you have. Lord, I pray for that over us this, uh, today. I pray for all these traits to be present and evident through the work of your Spirit in us. Amen.